or the oldest uh, account of the life of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, scholars widely agree that the source material for this book uh, is actually the Apostle Peter, uh, that Peter was sharing the account of, of his time with Jesus. And then uh, he had a, a fellow ministry partner, John Mark, uh, who was the scribe who wrote down this account. So hence why it's called the Gospel according to Mark, because Mark was writing down the words of Peter. And so this really is a firsthand account of the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I'm excited to walk through this book with you. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. And today is kind of like an introduction uh, to this series. Uh, those of you that are in community groups, you're going to be reading uh, through Mark as well. Uh, many of you are using a study guide. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called Jesus the King, reading through that also. Uh, not this week, but next week, you'll really start with chapters uh, 1 and 2, kind of talking about it. So this is kind of just to ease into the process. So what we'll do this morning is uh, consider Mark 1, 1 to 15. So I invite you all to stand up. I'm going to read this passage, and after I finish reading, I will say the word of the Lord. And you can all respond, thanks be to God. I'll then pray and you can sit back down. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. And with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you uh, for your word. Uh, your word is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. Uh, your word leads us into what is true. So God, I pray this morning uh, that you would enlighten our hearts uh, to help us to know you for who you are, for who you, you are revealing yourself to be in your word. And God, I pray that your spirit would take these words and, and bring them down from our heads into our hearts, uh, shaping us to become uh, like you, our Lord and Savior. We love you and we are grateful. Please lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Well, have you ever assumed uh, something simple or something basic and then realized later that your assumption about that simple or basic thing was misguided or, or even wrong? 
You would assume something simple and you were wrong about it. Um, that happened, well, it's happened to me multiple times, but it, but it happened one time I remember when I was baking my wife an apple pie for her birthday. Uh, she loves apple pie. Um, I don't usually do this, but I was decided I'm, I'm gonna make her well, what she likes. And so I was following the recipe, but I figured it's just an apple pie. It's not that hard. And so I combined the ingredients, got it all in there. The crust came out wonderful, and I was thrilled with how this thing looked. And she bit into it, and just I, her face crinkled up. I'm like, well, what? And she goes, did you, did you peel the apples? I said, no. I, 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 it didn't even dawn on me. You would peel the apples for the apple pie. I assumed you wouldn't do that, and I did not read the, that part of the recipe, and I was obviously wrong. And what should have been a wonderful experience turned out to not be a wonderful culinary experience for my wife, uh, based on my simple overlooking, this, this assumption I had made. Now, we're coming to a very simple question today, and it's easy to assume we already know the answer and move right on. And the simple question we're gonna ask is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Uh, we come to this book, it's called The Gospel According to Mark, uh, and the verse one says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna ask that simple phrase today. You can take the slide down, I'll come to that in a minute, thanks. So the, the, uh, the, the simple question we're asking, what is the gospel, really shapes everything. And if we just assume certain things, we will miss out on all that God has to offer us. What is the gospel? So, as we come today, four things I want us to consider about the gospel. Firstly, here we go, the gospel is an announcement of good news. That's the first thing I want us to focus on today. The gospel is an announcement of good news. Now, when you read that uh, word there, the gospel, we're kind of familiar with it as a religious word. We hear it a lot in churches, but that was not the origins of this word. Uh, it didn't strike the first hearers as being an overly religious kind of word. Uh, the word actually means news that brings great joy. It's a Greek word, the euangelion. And from that word, euangelion, we get the word uh, evangelism or evangelical. Our church is part of the evangelical Free Church of America. Uh, so euangelion is, is the core word here. And it simply means this, news that brings joy. News that brings joy. So a couple things to note here. First of all, the gospel is news, not advice. There's a big difference between news and advice. And at this point, the Christian faith differs greatly from all other religions and spiritual ideologies. Uh, every other religion or spiritual ideology is offering advice to be able to change yourself and the world. Now, if you walk this path of enlightenment, you can reach a better state. If you follow these pillars, uh, you can become worthy. If you follow these laws, this code, if you take this advice, you can become this kind of person and please God. But the Christian faith says, here's news. Here's what has happened in our world. Something has taken place in history that is changing everything. Now, the Christian faith has a lot of advice, but it's all advice that flows out of the news. The news is the center of this announcement. So Jesus didn't just come with advice for us. He came with a message. Something has happened in history that changes everything. So the gospel is news, and it's, it's, a, it's news that's good. Um, and it's a certain kind of good. You know, if you were to go to work, and someone said, hey, there's pizza in the break room today. 
Well, that's good news. Um, this news is not just general good news here. This is a specific kind of good news. It's good news about a king in a kingdom. And that word euangelion was always used in that context. See, Jesus is not making this word up. This word already existed uh, in the culture. Uh, let me give you a couple examples here. Uh, back in 490 BC, uh, there was the Battle of Marathon. Um, and before Marathon was ever a race that we run in, it actually was a place in history. And it's a place where a decisive battle was fought and won. Uh, legend has it that a Greek soldier ran from Marathon all the way back to Athens, which is just over 26 miles, and ran back with the euangelion, with the gospel, with the news that a victory had been won. And because a victory had been won on the battlefield, now Greece was safe. There, was, there could be peace because a kingdom was secure. There had been a victory, now there's peace within the city. Th that was the announcement, the euangelion uh, that this Greek runner ran with. I actually, I was thinking about this in a little more modern example recently. Uh, my wife and I, because we are so current, are just now watching Downton Abbey. Uh, a little late, all right. Uh, but in one of the seasons there, uh, Robert Crawley, uh, after World War I ends, runs into the servants section and, yell, and says to everyone, I have good news. The war is over. And there's a great like, relief and excitement from the servants because people that they know had been dying. Uh, they were experiencing great suffering and uh, rationing of food. But because a victory had been won, there now could be peace in their home. Uh, that is a euangelion. That is a gospel. That is message, news that a victory has been won. And that's what's taking place here in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is beginning, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He's beginning by telling us that something has happened in history. Jesus has done something victorious that is cause for great joy. So first of all, we see that the Gospel is an announcement of good news. Um, but the question that we must wonder here is, what is the news? Um, what is being announced? What has Jesus done that has caused for such great joy? And here's where I think if we just jump to our assumptions, we actually will miss what the scriptures are saying. So just pretend with me right now, you don't even know the Christian story. What is being announced here that is cause for great joy? Uh, let me read again, Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You read that, and you may be tempted to think, What? I thought we were talking about Jesus in the gospel. Why in verse 2? Does he start talking about an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah? Uh, Behold, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Da, 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 da. As it is written in Isaiah, why does he all of a sudden change the focus from Jesus to a prophet who's been dead for a couple hundred years? Why is this part of the gospel proclamation? Well, what Jesus is doing here, and what Mark is doing in writing this down, is Mark is anchoring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the larger story of the Bible. 
He's anchoring this gospel in the narrative of the whole scriptures. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, the home offices for the evangelical uh, free church are located in Minnesota, and I go out there multiple times a year, and our offices are located right down the road from the Mall of America. And so I often go over there to get something to eat, or, you know, I'm not a, a big shopper, but occasionally I'll pick something up. Uh, but this place is massive. It's got a, an amusement park inside the mall. It's three floors. So when you walk in, I just have no idea like, where any shop is. So I always, first when I walk in the door, walk to the digital map, which says, you are here. And then shows how you can get to the different stores you want to go to. That's what Mark is doing. He's saying, you are here in the story of God's redemption. And if we don't understand where we are and the larger story that this is set in, we are very, very prone to then rip the gospel out of context. And then it's incredibly easy to distort, to reduce, or even corrupt the gospel if it is yanked out of the context of the larger scriptures. Now, let me just pause here and just mention a couple ways that that's happening right now in our time. Because the gospel has always been um, changed, distorted, or corrupted. Much of the New Testament letters are written to correct perversions of the gospel. And it's no different today. Um, a couple common ways we see this happening today, there's one uh, version of the gospel commonly referred to as the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard of it. It goes something like this, that the good news is that God is for us, and through faith in Jesus, we can be victorious over our problems. Um, health and prosperity are God's will for our lives. So if we have faith in Jesus, we can have those things. Now, there's much in that statement that is actually quite true. Quite true. But if it is yanked out of the larger narrative of the scriptures, it changes the meaning altogether. What is the real problem in life? Is it our lack of funds and lack of health, or is it our lack of standing before a holy God? We begin to have a distortion or a reduction or even a perversion of the gospel if we don't anchor the gospel in the larger flow of the scripture. Another way we see this story or the gospel often changed or distorted in our time is what's commonly called the social gospel. Uh, that is, goes something like this. That the good news is that Jesus identified himself with the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed, the hurting. In his life and death and resurrection, he overturned the broken systems of our world so that the oppressed can be free. And again, there is so much that is true in that statement. But if it is ripped out of the larger narrative of the scriptures, we kind of can put the emphasis on the wrong syllable and we distort the message altogether. One final uh, distortion, and this one may hit a little closer to home, because I find it much more prevalent in our circles, and that's what I would call the individualized or future-only gospel. And it's commonly said, said this way, that the good news is that Jesus died for our sins so that, we can go, so that we can go to heaven when we die. Now, that's quite true, but that's not the whole of the gospel. Matter of fact, you don't find that sentiment in chapter 1 of Mark. It's true, but it's not the totality of the gospel. And if we assume that that is the whole thing, we are going to miss out on key aspects. And so Mark here is locating us, locating this gospel in the larger flow of the scriptures so that we can understand just how big and just how good it, this news is that Jesus is bringing. 
So let me read to you what Jesus himself said that the gospel was about. At the end of this section, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, we read, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here's our second uh, point for the morning. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember that you are here on the map uh, placeholder that Mark gave us about Isaiah? Um, This is what Jesus is connecting to here. When Jesus is saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, any good uh, Jewish listener back when this book was first written would be understanding that all of the prophecies written about in the Old Testament about when God would send his king to establish his kingdom on earth, Jesus was claiming that's happening here and now. And Isaiah is one of the prophets that said the most about God's promise to send his king. We sang some of the words this morning. Isaiah prophesied a son, a child will be born, a son will be given to you, the government will be on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. That there's a king who is coming who would rule over all, and in his kingdom, we would finally find the life we've been longing for. I mean, the, the, the prophecies of Isaiah are startling. I mean, let me just read a few of them. Isaiah says that in that day, when that king is established, the wolf would lie down with the lamb. That the natural order of things would no longer be tooth and claw. That children would be able to play with cobras and be safe. That swords would be beaten into plows. Uh, that no need for military force anymore. Nothing would hurt or destroy. And even this, the shroud of death would be removed when this king established his kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is the life that we all intrinsically long for. We long for peace. We long for safety. We long for death, for sorrow, for sadness to be no more. And Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled. So you can imagine how this struck the ears of his hearers when he's saying, I am here, those words are coming true in me. The kingdom of God is at hand, right there, available to you. Listen to how the Apostle Paul, later after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, how he articulates the gospel in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. He said, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. You see, the gospel is all about being transferred from one kingdom to another. There is a kingdom of darkness at work in this world. It's a kingdom of self-centeredness. It's a kingdom of evil. And unfortunately, we are all born into that kingdom. That is what is natural to us. That is why the world is the way it is. But Jesus has come. Here's the news part. There's been a victory that has been won. Therefore, a transfer is possible from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. The kingdom of God is the main message of Jesus. As you read through the Gospels, that's what he talks about again and again. He demonstrates the kingdom with his miracles. 
It's evidence that he's the king with the power to heal, the power to save, the power to even defeat death. He has to teach about the kingdom, how he intends us to live within his kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is a wonderful message about what life looks like in the kingdom of God. But then he has to teach us, why do we still see bad things? Why is sickness still happening? Why is death still happening if the kingdom is here? And he said, well, it's because the kingdom is, yes, here, but not in its full form yet. It's like a mustard seed put into the ground. It's here, it's small, it's easily overlooked, but one day it'll be a gigantic plant. The kingdom of God really is here, but not yet fully here. Jesus is teaching all throughout his ministry the good news of the kingdom. The gospel is the good news that in Jesus, the kingdom of God is available to us. Thirdly, what we need to see in this passage is that the gospel is about the person of the king and his victory. The gospel is about the person of the king and his victory. I mean, Mark doesn't just write a doctrinal essay. He doesn't say, okay, let's, let's break down all the mechanics of exactly how God will save us in Jesus Christ. Uh, and he writes a theory of the atonement and goes through justification, sanctification. Those are all good things, but it's not what he does. Mark writes to us a story, a narrative. He, he's telling us about a person, who Jesus is, what he's like, and what he did. And we may scratch our heads and wonder, why did he do this? I mean, a doctrinal essay would have been more efficient. It would have been shorter. He could have gotten to the point quicker. So why go through this whole story about Jesus? I think this is why. Because Mark doesn't just want to show us the mechanics of how we can get into the kingdom. He wants us to fall in love with the king. So he shows us the character and the heart of the king. And I fear that all too often in our day, we just talk about the mechanics. We can know all the right things about the Christian faith and still not love the king. That if we do not see the heart of Jesus revealed and fall in love with him, we may find ourselves with a lot of knowledge, but not much faith. There's a difference between knowledge and faith. So Mark is showing us the person of the king. And I'm just gonna reference real quickly in chapter one how he does this. He gives us a couple snapshots of Jesus. And they're very quick snapshots. Mark is a fast-moving account. You'll see the word immediately uh, come up again and again. And immediately, Jesus did this. And then immediately, he did that. Mark is moving quickly through his narrative. But he references two snapshots here in our text today. He first references the baptism of Jesus. That, that Jesus came and he was baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River. It's a fascinating um, vignette. I mean, at this time, there was kind of like a revival happening in Israel. Many people were recognizing um, their need for forgiveness and for cleansing. There was a great conviction of sin, that they were not living as God intended them to live. So many people were going out to hear John preach, and then they would be baptized by him, which was a sign that they wanted to be cleansed, forgiven of their sins by God. And then we see Jesus come and is baptized as well. And you might wonder, why? Why would Jesus, the perfect king, the one who had never sinned, come and be baptized? Why did he come and say, good, I'm glad you all are getting ready for me. I'm gonna save you in a little bit. Um, keep doing it, keep getting baptized. Why does he get baptized? Oh, this king is unlike any other king. This is the king who identifies with those he intends to save. 
He's not being baptized for his own sins. He is coming, and he is identifying with sinful humanity. He is being baptized to identify with us, even in our sinful state. Because one day he intends to take on our sins fully, so that they can be removed. In his baptism, we see the king who identifies with his people. And we see the king who is love itself. Did you see the story there? That in the baptism, this powerful scene, it says the heaven is torn open as Jesus comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. And the words of the Father are spoken from heaven. This is my dearly beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In Jesus' baptism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, this is the larger story of the whole scriptures. That from eternity past, God has existed as a triune God. God has never been lonely. God has had perfect relationship within himself. So creation is the overflow of God's love. God creates in the way that parents create. Out of the overflow of love, we see life pouring out. And now at the, at the culmination of redemption, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together. You see, the heart of the universe is self-giving love. If you think love is the meaning of life, you're right. But the only way we can anchor that, that thought is in a God who is himself love. If there is no God who is love itself, who is giving his love to what he has made, then all we're left with is a closed system world where we have cause and effect, uh, where we have an evolutionary process, where frankly, love is not really all that important. It's just getting ahead. But if you think love is important, this tells you why it is. Because at the heart of the universe, there is a God who is love itself. The king is the God of love. And then we move on in that vignette from the baptism to the temptation. And we see a king who not only identifies with us, but who experiences what we experience. Um, he didn't just show up and say, I'm standing with you, I'm getting baptized. Frankly, that wasn't that difficult. Maybe it would be humbling to get baptized, but it wasn't experiencing suffering. But then he takes it up a notch, and he goes and is tempted, experiencing lack, uh, experiencing all that we experience in temptation. He experiences what we experience. You know, it's been said that the difference between sympathy and empathy is proximity. That Jesus didn't just sympathize with us in his baptism, he empathizes with us. He comes all the way into experiencing fully what it means to be human. What king does that? I mean, think of all the kings, the political rulers of the world now. Uh, they don't try to experience all that their citizens experience. They live removed, safe, protected. This is the king who comes and experiences the worst, experiences everything that his citizens will experience. And Jesus didn't just experience what we experience. He was victorious for us. He experienced all the temptation and never sinned never gave in. In thought, in word, in deed, he was faithful the whole way. See, the Christian gospel is that Jesus is in our place, and not just in his death, in his life also. He was being tempted for us. He was being victorious for us. So we see the king who experiences what we experience and is victorious for us. And what you're going to find is that in the first half of Mark, we get a lot of these vignettes that are showing us about the heart and the character of Jesus. And these stories are all leading somewhere. 
because the first half of Mark is all about the king and showing us who he is, and the second half of Mark is his cross. All of these stories are leading us to the culmination of what Jesus came to do for us. Matter of fact, in the middle of Mark, uh, Mark 10, 45, we have this key watershed verse in the whole book where Mark says, or Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, and that's his favorite title for himself, is an Old Testament title, meaning the Messiah, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The cross is the culmination of what Jesus came to do. It's not the only thing he came to do. He came to teach, he came to heal, he came to die, he came to rise, he came to ascend. All of this is the work of Jesus. And and the cross is the culmination. It's the clearest window we get into the heart of God. The God who is willing to die. The king who is willing to die. So the gospel is all about the person of the king and his, and his victory. So as you read through, the, through Mark over the next 10 weeks, I encourage you to regularly ask this question. Ask, what is the character of the king? What do I learn about the character of the king from what I'm reading? Because again, if we don't fall in love with the king, we will find it very difficult to follow the king. What is this telling us about who Jesus is? All right, everyone's still awake and hanging with me? Okay, good. One more point here. Last thing I want to see about the gospel. The gospel is life-changing. The gospel is life-changing. Jesus announced the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, that it's available, but he didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. You know, in, in Mark 1, uh, uh, verse 15, he went on. He, he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. See, he didn't just stop after the kingdom of God is available. He could have. He could have said, you know what? I've come. I'm going to accomplish a victory. Continue on as you are. No need to change anything. Just know that I'm going to die someday, and that'll be enough. He didn't do that. He came with this news, and then he gives an invitation. And the invitation is repent and believe. Here's the news, the kingdom of God is available. Here's the invitation, repent and believe. Now, let me kind of unpack those a little bit. I'm gonna unpack belief first. Uh, When he says believe the gospel, believe the good news, to our ears, belief sounds primarily about knowledge, a matter of knowledge. Sort of like, I believe that to be true. I know that. Um, You know, I I believe that uh, Bob Carrier is the mayor of Dover. I know that to be true. But that's different than how belief is being used in this context. See, the Greek word for belief is the word pistuo. And what that word means, pistuo, it means to have faith upon, or to entrust yourself to, or to rely upon. See, I know that Bob Carrier is the mayor of Dover. I have not entrusted myself to him. I've entrusted myself to my wife. There's a big difference there in relationship. There's a commitment, a reliance, an entrusting. And what this word here is saying is that Jesus is inviting us to entrust ourselves to the king and to his kingdom. In another place, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. That we are to entrust, rely upon, put all the chips of our life into this being true. 
that the kingdom of God really is available, that Jesus really has forgiven sin. He really has defeated death. He really is coming again. I mean, if that's true, it changes everything. And Jesus invites us to entrust ourselves to that reality. Now, if we truly believe that good news, it makes the second word, frankly, very easy and natural, where Jesus said, repent. And repent simply means to turn, to be walking one direction or driving one direction. Let's say you're driving to Rochester and you realize, oh, wait a minute, the restaurant I'm going to was in Portsmouth. Uh, you can't be in Rochester and in Portsmouth at the same time. You have to turn the car and, and drive the other way. And so what Jesus is saying here is that to really believe the gospel, who he is, what he has done, that means then you are going to turn in life from living one direction and heading a different one. Uh, he teaches that in his kingdom, forgiveness is part of the way of life. So we can't be living in bitterness and be living in the kingdom at the same time. He teaches us that justice is part of the way of life in his kingdom. So we can't be living the kingdom way of life and then be living self-centeredly, not caring about the well-being of others. That, that's not living a kingdom kind of life. A, a way of life in the kingdom is a way of humility. So we can't be all about ourselves and exalting ourselves and be living a kingdom kind of life. So Jesus invites us Believe the good news and, and turn from that kind of way of living and learn from me how to live in the kingdom. So my question for you this morning is, what might Jesus be inviting you to turn from right now? See, in his goodness, he never reveals to us all at once all that we need to turn from. If he did, it'd be overwhelming. But what is it right now in your life that you're realizing, if I'm to truly believe the gospel and to live in accordance with Jesus' kingdom, I gotta, I gotta turn from, from this direction to that direction. Could it be a matter of forgiveness? Could it be a, a matter of generosity? Uh, could it be a matter of, of faithfulness? What is it for you that, that God is calling you to repent of and, and turn from and then turn to? See, the good news of this is that repentance is not this overly dour word. It's good news. We're returning from that which leads to death to that which is life. In Jesus' kingdom is life, and he invites us to turn. So, summary for the morning. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus is Lord. He is king of the universe. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, the kingdom is available. We can enter right now and live forever with him. Will you believe? Will you repent? I invite you to stand with me. I want to close in prayer. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Stay seated for a second. I forgot. This is a different part. Uh, I want to actually um, do a little lead-in for community groups this week, okay? So uh, what I would like you to invite all of you to do uh, this week is to actually read a little bit uh, in Mark. The, the text we read this morning. Dig a little deeper. Uh, Mark, first of all, Mark 1, 1 to 15. That's the text we covered this morning. I invite you to read that. Read it personally, read it in your community groups, and consider what God is showing you in that text. Uh, secondly, uh, read chapter one in Jesus the King. Now, uh, the, what we're gonna be studying is the, the Tim Keller workbook. It has nine sessions, so we're not doing session one this week, but you can ease in by reading the first chapter in that book, Jesus the King, um, and he'll cover this some, much of what we talked about this morning. And then also in community groups, Go a little deeper in the, discussing, in the discussion about the gospel of the kingdom. 
Uh, what do you understand the kingdom to be? How are you seeing God calling you to believe and to repent? Uh, the gospel of the kingdom is good news. Let's lean into it. Now, let's stand and we'll close in prayer.